everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the RV Miles podcast, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 32 of the RV Miles podcast. To get today's show notes, head over to rvmiles.com slash episode 32. You can also find RV Miles on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Jason and I are over at ourwanderingfamily.com. And we are also on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, (laughs) Instagram, and Pinterest. I start laughing as I go to roll down our social media now because I'm not sure I can remember it all. If that's not enough, we'd love for you to come join us on the new RV Miles Facebook group where you can interact with us and ask questions. And we can hopefully, along with the community of people that we're building there, help you out with some of the questions that you might have when it comes to RV traveling. Absolutely. And if I look at you and say, I want to start another social media, just just push me out the bus door, please. Just right on out. I can't keep up with it all anymore. Well, on that note, we have a new thing that we're launching (laughs) (laughs) that has its own social media. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On this week's episode, we are going to preview our new America's National Parks podcast, which has a Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and a website. (laughs) Uh, we're in the third segment of the show. We're going to play our sort of preview episode. It's about 10 minutes long of, of the new America's national parks podcast. It's a totally different podcast from what we do here. It's a narrative style thing. And we're really, really excited about it. I know I can't get that Woody Guthrie song out of my head, not to give it away or anything, but that song has been stuck in my head for days. And also when we played it for the boys, Jack, our oldest was like, I don't recognize your voices. <laughs> Who are you? And I, I remember being like, well, I'm finally putting that theater degree to good use <laughs> all these years later. I think it's going to be a good podcast and I, I hope you'll like it. I'm excited for it. And I'm excited for breaking into some more storytelling and also just to talk about our national parks in this sort of context. And one of the things we want to mention, and we'll probably mention it again later in the podcast, is we would love suggestions for story items. Email us over at editor at rvmiles.com so we can check it out. We're going to have some, we have all kinds of news this week. We're going to have some national park news as well. Um, some RV industry news. But first, we are coming to you from Las Cruces, New Mexico. We just left the white, the Alamogordo area, White Sands National Monument and Oliver Lee State Park. And uh, such a beautiful place. That's going to be yeah. next week's episode. I missed that campground already. Mm. Those views of the Sacramento mountains were just stunning the mm-hmm. whole time we were there. But this one is really nice, too. We have this is Leesburg Dam that we're at. It has Wi-Fi. Not as strong as the Roswell Bottomless Lakes Wi-Fi, but it does have Wi-Fi. So we have happy children and we also have a happy work <laughs> environment at this point. But it's just a, for a couple of days and then we're kicking over and trying our hat at a, a walk-in spot. We'll see how that goes for us yeah. on a weekend. Yeah. That was a really smart move <laughs> on our part. <laughs> All right. Let's hit the news for this week. Our top story this week, January shipment numbers and ship numbers. These are the numbers of units that are shipped from the manufacturers to the dealers. And it's the stat that they use to determine what the growth of the industry is. 
January shipment numbers are up over 25% from last year. That's a huge growth for one year. And, you know, manufacturers and dealers, they've just got to be doing a happy dance over it. And that's on top of, you know, 10% last year and 10% the year before and the year before. And we'll see where it continues this year. We talk about this all the time, the the massive interest in RVing and the the number of RVs that are being purchased right now is just insane. It is. And what's interesting, too, is because we've talked about this a little bit, is that there are now going to be other areas of this industry that are going to have to rise up and they're going to have to rise up to meet this demand. We've talked about the fact that there are just not enough campgrounds. Yeah. Campsites are a big issue and uh, they're going to be a bigger issue coming this summer and going to continue to be. You hear full timers talking about it a lot that they now really have to reserve their sites well in advance where they used to not reserve at all and just sort of show up where they could show up. But now every campground is booked on the weekends. They just all are. And it gets to be a little unnerving when you see a state park or a national park that's walk-in only for their sites Mm -hmm. because you know that there are so many people out there on the road right now that your odds keep getting smaller and smaller. And then where did these people go? Exactly. And so I think it's a great investment for on the state level, on the national level and on the private level that if you have the money to spend, investing in a campground right now is a great investment. Another great investment right now would be an RV service center. Yeah. there The backup is just massive. RVs, some have problems when they're built. It's very common for a new RV to need warranty work done on it. And the backup at the service centers out there is just massive. And if you want to have your RV serviced at a place that you didn't buy it at, you might be waiting six months or more. Some of these service centers are only servicing RVs that were sold at their facility because they can't handle other customers. There's just not enough enough workers, enough, not enough service space, not enough time. This would be a great profession for anyone to go into who is looking to get into this kind of field because there are not enough people who have this skill. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that are making a lot of money as mobile technicians. A Mm -hmm. lot of people are foregoing their warranty and just paying mobile technicians to come fix their RV at the campground. And there are a lot of service technicians that are making a good amount of money doing so. Yeah. And my hope is, is that all of this is going to level itself out. You know, you've got all of this supply and demand for the RV itself, that the other parts of the industry, they're just going to have to rise up if they want to see this continue to grow. And we see these these RV manufacturers are building plants left and right, trying to keep up with demand. But there's got to be an effect on quality control Mm -hmm. at the manufacturer level when they're cranking out so many units. Well, I don't know how many weeks ago it was, but we did just talk about Elkhart Mm -hmm. and the thousands, not hundreds, but thousands of people they were looking to hire to come in and help with demand. Because they, the Elkhart is at full employment and they're, they need people to come out there and build these RVs. But they're going to have to pay them. They're going to have to pay them. You know, there's a whole, it's just like a whole circle with all of this. Along those lines, Airstream has announced that they are building a new plant in their Jackson Center Ohio location, they're going to be increasing their capacity by 50% and adding 300 jobs. Can we just talk about how cute Airstreams are? (laughs) We are seeing a ton of Airstreams down here in New Mexico. The little ones too, which couldn't be any cuter. 
And I think the thing with Airstream, it doesn't surprise me that this would be in the news or that their product is increasing. I think Airstreams are incredibly trendy right now. They've been trendy for the last several years, purchasing the old Airstream and then gutting it and renovating it to your specifications. I think that with the younger RV set, the family set, it's just a really trendy RV to own. Across Instagram, there are so many little Airstream accounts that you can follow as people are living the Airstream life, as they call it. They're great little RVs. I mean, they're very expensive, but they're built very well. They hold their value. They don't look like they've aged after a few years. They look the same on the outside. So you don't look like you have this dated RV right away. And uh, they're they're great little little RVs. They're not for me. I've decided. I am not prepared to answer that question yet. You, you, want, you need to spend some more time. <laughs> I need to go knock on a few more Airstream doors. <laughs> they don't have, because of the shape, the shape is nice because it's aerodynamic. The metal reflects the sun and everything. But because of the shape, they don't have as much room inside as other travel trailers. And that's that's the one concern I have with Fair the Airstream. Fair enough. You're a tall guy. I could see where that would be a I'll concern. I'll take one. You want to give me an $80,000 Airstream, I'll take it. Yeah, we're not going to turn it down. Moving on to some National Park Service news, but this is still along the lines of the incredible growth in, in outdoor recreation and the enjoyment that people are getting out of spending some time outside. The National Parks Service has released their numbers from last year and visitations were about even as 2016, 330 million people, almost the exact same number off by about a hundred thousand, but people are spending more time in the parks. So you have the same amount of people, but they're spending more time there. So there's still more visitors at any given time at most of the national parks, which are very overcrowded, especially the popular ones during the tourism seasons. I think popular is such an interesting word with the national parks because I've yet to meet a national park site that I don't like. Yeah, me too. And I do get the idea that here are the big ones. We have to go see these. They're spectacular. But We've talked a little bit about doing a segment along the lines of just highlighting some maybe lesser known or lesser popular parks that would actually really be worth your time going to and kind of getting away from the crowds at the Grand Canyon or at Yellowstone or at Yosemite or the Rocky Mountain National Park. Those are amazing parks to go and visit. But I think that there is also a lot of other parks out there, maybe even just down the street from you that you're not quite sure are even there and absolutely worth people's time to help spread out the love. Everyone wants to get everyone wants a piece of our national parks right now. And I think we need to spread that out past maybe the the top five. Even at the big ones, people tend to stay away from the less popular areas yeah. at those big ones. And you can go during the busy season to some of these national parks like Yellowstone. And they say 90% of people never go further than a few hundred feet from a road at Yellowstone. So, you know, you just need to hike in on a trail somewhere. So we need to go 500 feet. <laughs> we'll go 501. Some more National Park Service news. 
say hello to National Park number 60. Hello, National Park number 60. Gateway Arch National Park. Is we are the, no stranger of this park, the by the way. The new name of the Jefferson National Expansion Memorial, which I will I will admit was a clunky name. <laughs> a really clunky name and not, I don't think, a very good representation of all that that was supposed to yeah. encompass. It does, however, mean with the new naming of the 60th National Park that we will need a new magnet for Wanderbus because we've got an old school one now. I have mixed feelings about this name. I know you do. And part of it is what you just mentioned, that you've got the arch and then you've got the old courthouse. And I think the old courthouse where the Dred Scott case was tried is just as important, if not more important than the arch. And... uh I don't know. I kind of feel like they should be two separate national monuments. I mean, there's no there's no doubt that the arch is a monument. So I would have named them, you know, as two separate national monuments. But this was a tourism decision. This was Missouri legislators deciding if we name this area a national park, more people are going to come to St. Louis. If you build it, they will come. And there aren't very many national parks like this of this size. You no. Know? There are a few small national parks, but the national park name is designated by Congress. And I will say the National Park Service does not differentiate between the different types of sites. They treat them all the same. But the national park name is one given by Congress, and it's usually given to a wide expanse of protected land. And there are some exceptions. Hot Springs, uh, Hot Springs is an exception. Is a great exception. But it was a very early on park, though, as well. Really, yeah. I think before we had fleshed out what these different areas meant. So, I, you know, I don't know, whatever. I call them all national parks <laughs> for, for my Just taste. To get it doesn't matter. There. Um, but, uh, but there it is. Gateway Arch National Park is park number 60. And they have been doing quite a big renovation there for... Almost a year. We were there. Oh, no, in the it's fall. been it's been going on way before that renovation was going on the last time we were there. It was. It was back in they were they because it's such a big project, they covered over that highway. There was a highway that went between the the arch and the courthouse, and they have covered over the highway, made it a tunnel, and now there's lawn over the top and it's all connected. And the main entrance to the arch is up by the courthouse now. And yes, but the major closing of the visitor center, the bathrooms yeah. and things like that, that we experienced when we were there in the fall, that was all fairly new but that, renovation. But that area was under construction when we went tent camping there five or so years ago. Yeah, but you still had access to you a did. visitor center. When we were there in the fall, there was yeah. no real access to the major the arch visitor center. Yes. There, there was access to the old courthouse visitor center. Yes. But there were, I remember cutting out old construction fences from those photos that we took of our family from five years ago or whenever it was. So they're getting near the end of it, right at the phase where they're going to be adding signage. So this was the time to rename it as yeah. the Gateway Arch National Park. But it's like right now, before we put it on print, what do we want to call this? I think this name, even though I still don't believe that it is inclusive of everything that it represents, it makes more sense to me than the Jefferson name did. Yeah. 
All right. That is our news for the week. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will have the answer to last week's brain teaser. And we're going to talk about some of our favorite travel books before we get to playing you our new National Parks podcast. We're going to do a segment on some of the, the books. We haul books with us. I know. <laughs> a we lot haul. of our viewers, you know, it's rightly so avoid bringing books with because they're heavy and they take up a lot of space. We have a lot of books with us. Um, I just wasn't playing that. Like, I have to have the books. <laughs> but, I love ebooks. Don't get me wrong. I love audiobooks, but there's just yeah. nothing like opening up a book. But we were very selective because we did have to get rid of a lot of books and we've bought some books along the way. So we're going to tell you some of our favorite travel books that we keep with us and and a couple that we've seen out there that I think you'll really like. That's on the next segment and we'll be right back with that. Okay, Abby, hit us with last week's brain teaser. When I turn around once, what is out will not get in. When I turn around again, what is in will not get out. What am I? I will say I have absolutely no idea. And not only do I not have any idea, we got very, very few correct submissions this week. Yeah, this was a tough one, and I didn't mean for it to be so difficult. And looking back on it now, I can see how it was really tough. Uh, the answer is a key. key. A key. So if you, you know, oh. now that you hear what it is, it'll kind of make sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Our winner is Leslie Dumas from Minnesota, who will be receiving an RV Miles decal. Good job, Leslie. That was hard. Yeah. Thank you to those who attempted. Thank you to those who admitted they had absolutely no idea. And thank you to those who emailed us with the answer as well. It's always fun. Every yeah, I think week. this was the first time we got several. I have no idea. Yeah. Emails. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, we will have the next brain teaser at the end of the show. We wanted to talk about some of the books we love. We love books. We do love we books. We do love books. They're heavy. They take up space. We set them out wherever we go. We pack them up and we put them out because we love books. And it's always really nice, too, with the open shelves that we have here in Wanderbus. We can't just, like, close a door and travel. <laughs> Everything has to come down. But I got to say, <laughs> books really help us with travel planning. It is so much easier to open a book and figure out important information about a destination that you're trying to reach than it is to, you know, find all that information on your phone or whatever. Well, some of our books, like the state park books mm -hmm. that we have, have been really great if we wanted to research a particular area and we're in a campground and I'm thinking right now about when we were in Voyagers and our cell service was next to nothing. Yeah. But we really wanted to research some areas that we wanted to go to. Opening up those state park books was a great way to kind of start getting an idea of what we wanted to do when we didn't have a way to find anything else out. Yeah, and that's the National Ge National Geographic has a, has a whole series of these sort of travel books that are all sort of the same size, and their state park book is is a great resource. But it didn't make it on this list. <laughs> it didn't make those. <laughs> it it made it on our one of our gift guides last fall, I believe. Yeah. Uh, here is our 
list of books that we really like to travel with. Go ahead, Abby. Okay. So the first one we have on here is the National Geographic Complete National Parks of the United States. And this is, so this is the complete national parks of the United States is different than their other national park guidebook. And what's great about this one is it includes all the national park service sites, or at least all of the ones that existed when this book was created. And that has been so handy. I keep opening it up to the Southwest region to figure out where we're going next, what we're doing, how can we get close to a National Park Service site. And uh, and I really, really love it. Yeah, it was a great purchase. It's been a really handy book to have as well as we've been discussing America's National Parks podcast and wanting to know more about some of these smaller monuments and parks that perhaps people don't know a whole lot about. If you love the National Parks, and we're not just talking about the big parks, but if you just love National Park sites, this is just a great book for you. Yeah. It's um, it's the number one resource right now that I use next to an atlas. Yeah. So the next book we want to talk about is called, and I'm sure a lot of you have heard about this book, Road Food. Road Food has been around since 1977. And thank goodness, because you know what? How would we know where to go and eat? I know, right? They're, they're on their 10th edition, I believe. It's by Jane and Michael Stern, and they've been doing this forever find the best barbecue joints, the best sort of diner type places, the best places that are convenient to access from from highways and and that sort of stuff. It's it's, it's so a real com- treasure. Yeah, it's a really comprehensive list of places and for me and I don't know if anyone else is like this. I'm sure there are people like this. I like to go through books when I've completed a task inside of them and mark yeah. That I've been to that place. Like you make a note. Make a little note or the put date. the date on it. We also have another book, A Thousand Places to See Before You Die, which of course we're never gonna see all of those and it kind of stresses me out when I look through that book. <laughs> but the few places we have been, I've gone into the book and I've made a note that we have been there. Well, they even have like a little checkbox in, yeah, in that book for you to check mark off places that you've been in. They it's... knew I was coming. So <laughs> <laughs> so Road Food, though, is a really fun book for anyone who likes to enjoy local food or get to know the local community and the places they go. And they've got really great descriptions of the different diners the... and restaurants. And it's all I think their goal, too, is to highlight restaurants, diners that are inexpensive it's a great website, too. Their website mm-hmm. is full of all these listings and a lot of information as well. Yeah, it's a really fun book. So another one that we really like is called Road Trip USA. Yeah, Road Trip USA is it's by Jamie Jensen. It is the cross-country adventures on America's two-lane highways is the subtitle. And it is, you know, the big ones. Route 66, the Great River Road. The Road to Nowhere, all in all, it's 11 different road trips and they're all cross country. They're left to right or up to down. And what I love about this book, at first you look at it and it's sort of like a a thing you used to dream with, you know, because no, very few people do these full road trips. They're very difficult to do the entirety of of a single one of the, you know, the whole Oregon Trail or um 
You know, some people do do the whole Route 66, but that's actually one of the shorter ones. But what you can do is you can go through here and you can just look at a section that you might be on within your travels and try to stay on that road trip for a certain amount of time. And it's just full of all kinds of the crazy roadside destinations, the places to eat, uh, places to stay and uh, the crazy little monuments and and, you know, kitschy stuff, Paul Just, Bunyan yeah. statues and things like that, that you're going to find along the way. We used this book a lot when we sort of realized that we were doing the Great River Road over mm -hmm. the fall. Like we just kind of fell into it. And that book was an invaluable resource while we were on that journey. Next is some books for the kids. There's a really great chapter book series out called Mysteries in Our National Park. Yeah, we've been seeing these yeah. at all of the National Park Service gift shops yeah and it's definitely geared towards older kids these are suspenseful chapter yeah chapter books but they're suspenseful you know there are different varying levels of chapter books i would say that this is even jack might just be on the beginning they're end novels of this. Yeah, yeah they're young adult novels absolutely they're suspenseful they're mysteries each book is about a different national park site and i think it's a really great and fun way to get kids involved in the national parks through fiction and through stories that are going to kind of grip them and engage them and keep them wanting to come back. They're short books, too. I would say that they're between maybe 100 and 120 pages. They're short little paperbacks. You can get them online. You can get them at your library. You, like Jason said, you can see them at a lot of national park gift shops. They're fun. I look forward to getting a few for Jack. And so it's a way for them to not have to read nonfiction and, you know, have a learning experience all the time, but they'll still be learning and engaging mm -hmm. with the park by reading this fictional novel. Yeah. And on the nonfiction side, though, for kids, another one I wanted to throw in are the Where Is or Who Is series of books. I'm sure if you have an older child and you're, you know, you're a parent that you have seen these at the bookstore. So there are ones that are like, where is Mount Rushmore? Who was George Washington? Who is Abraham Lincoln? Our son, our oldest son really loves who is Walt Disney. He loves who is Walt Disney and he loves who are the Beatles. Yeah. Those oh, were yeah. his two favorites. But these could be really great companions if you are leading up to a vacation that's going to take you to, let's say, the birthplace of George Washington. Or you're going to go to the Statue of Liberty or you're taking a trip to Mount Rushmore. These books are great ways to kind of bring in a little bit of history, but they're still really engaging and really fun reads. They're also very short. They have so many topics that go beyond just history in the national parks that if you end up having a kid that are really into these, they could go for years and not read everything that they have published through this series. Another book that we really want to recommend, or I guess I should say I want to recommend. It's yeah, I have no, I've not yeah. read this. This is a really great book. It's called, it has nothing to do with national parks or actually has nothing to do with the country, the United States of America at all. But it's outdoorsy. But it's outdoorsy. It's called The Lost Explorer and it's by Conrad Anker or Anker and David Roberts. And it's about Mount Everest. It is examining the fact that perhaps Hillary was not the first to summit Everest. There is a lot of evidence that suggests that George Mallory and Sandy Irvine actually were the first to get on Everest back in 1924. And so back in 1999, their bodies were actually found 
on Everest and it sort of reopened this idea. And this book is looking at that point of view. It's written by climbers as well. So they have a really good sort of idea of what goes into climbing Everest and what would have gone into climbing Everest in the 1920s versus the 1950s. I am not generally one for nonfiction, but this book and this story is so fascinating. And I think the idea of Everest and what you go through as a human being to make that summit and what people went through in the early part of the 20th century to try and get to that summit is just incredibly fascinating. I just can't get over the fact that if you go to climb Mount Everest, the sort of guide points and markers that you use on your way up and down are frozen dead bodies. Everest at this point, I get the impression now I've never been there. So, you know, I don't know for certain, but I get the impression that Everest is almost like a living tomb at this point. It is. And also kind of, I have heard, and again, like I said, I haven't been there, but the amount of like oxygen tanks that are just laying there on the trail because they get dropped and trash. And right. I mean, cause you're not packing that stuff out with and you. It's, well, and it's frozen year round. Yeah. So you, you know, these hikers go to the bathroom and it's frozen. It's there. It stays it's there. It's just and there. I just find the story of Everest and this particular story of yeah. Mallory and Irvine really fascinating. And I really liked this book a lot. I would love to reread it. Highly recommended. It. It's probably my most recommended here on the list of everything that we have thrown out. Our final one is one that we have actually owned probably the longest of all of the books that we have brought up. And it was really crucial for us to read and have on hand when we first started camping and tent camping with our kids. And it's called The Down and Dirty Guide to Camping with Kids. This book is by Helen Olson. And I love this book because it's humorous. It's real. She just kind of like lays it all out there, but it is so encouraging. And I remember when we got this book, when I think we got this book before we even had Henry. So we were still just a parent of two kids. And I just remember feeling really confident that I could go out and do this because I had read this book. It's geared more towards tent campers than than RVers, but there's still a lot of information that's useful if you're an RVer. It's an outdoorsy book. Yeah. I mean, she encourages hiking and, you know, she talks about, you know, just steps to have an enjoyable hike with your kids and an enjoyable time out in nature with your kids. And I think that there would be something to be gleaned from it, no matter what type of outdoor living you're doing. If you are camping, be it in an RV or a tent, and you are taking children with you, you should read this book. We certainly were influenced probably by what we put last week together. We put that stress-free camping article together. This book was a huge influencer to get us there. There are sections in it on everything from setting up your campsite to camp food to things to do when you're bored, if it's rainy, uh, sections on like not tying games to play all kinds of stuff how to brush your teeth outside you know that you should spit in all directions at the same time so that your toothpaste (laughs) doesn't land in one spot and attract bears all kinds of fun stuff like that Um, because what kid doesn't love to (laughs) shake their head back and forth as they're spitting their toothpaste out yeah helen's got some great youtube videos as well that i think were 
were very useful to us when we first started camp tent camping. Definitely check this book out. It's a real solid book. And especially if you're, even if you're in an RV, if you spend a lot of time boondocking with kids um, and you're, you know, if you're away from bathhouses and stuff, it tells you how to go to the bathroom in the woods, how to yeah. keep hygiene, how to keep clean, all that sort of stuff. And uh, we really love it. All of these books are, uh, we're going to link to them for you on the website that you can purchase on Amazon. If you do purchase on Amazon through any of our website links, actually, you don't even have to buy these books. You can buy whatever you want from Amazon. If you go through an Amazon link on our website, we are an Amazon affiliate and we get a few pennies from every purchase you make and it really helps us out. You don't pay any additional from what you would normally pay on Amazon. They just give us a little tiny cut. And Jason's not joking when he says it's a tiny cut. It's a tiny cut. It's a tiny cut. It's a tiny cut. But it's a cut. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's take a little break. And when we come back, we will have the brain teaser for this week. And we will also have a little podcast teaser as well. Yeah, we're really excited to play this teaser of our new National Parks podcast for you. So stick around and we'll have that in a minute. So we have this new podcast that we're really thrilled to be able to preview for you here on the show today. This has been a labor of love. We've got several episodes that we're working on uh, and it's called the America's National Parks Podcast. And uh, we're telling it in a totally different style than this RV Miles podcast is. It is a narrative podcast. It's not a sort of news topical thing. The episodes are sort of things you can listen to at any time. And they are the stories behind the people and the creation of all these wonderful National Park Service sites that we love so much. So without any further ado, here is a preview of the America's National Parks podcast. As I was walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me endless skyway. I saw below me the golden valley. This land was made for you. There's nothing so American as our national parks. The fundamental idea behind the parks is that the country belongs to the people. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. history of America, wild lands were seen as wastelands waiting to be conquered. 
natural resources that were the raw materials with which we would build a country. But by the end of the 19th century, artists, both of the written word and the canvas, would spark a movement to counter the rapidly industrializing society. A movement that would view the American landscape as God on Earth, a treasure to be protected at all costs. The painter George Catlin wrote The Clarion that is credited with the creation of a holy American idea. On a trip to the Dakota region in 1832, he fretted about the consequences of America's westward expansion on the vast wilderness and on Native American civilization. Those lands must be preserved, he wrote, by some great protecting policy of government in a magnificent park, a nation's park containing man and beast in all the wild and freshness of their nature's beauty. Four decades later, Catlin's idea would come to fruition in the northwest corner of Wyoming, a wonderland called Yellowstone. God has cared for these trees saved them from drought, disease, avalanches, and a thousand tempests and floods. But he cannot save them from fools. John Muir I'm Jason Epperson. And I'm Abigail Trabio. And this is episode zero of the America's National Parks podcast. In the coming weeks, we'll begin to explore our nation's treasures, their history, their people, and their stories. From Denali, the tallest mountain peak, to Death Valley's Badwater Basin, 282 feet below sea level, 2,000-pound bison that roam Yellowstone's Lamar Valley, and the nightly flight of hundreds of thousands of Brazilian free-tailed bats from Carlsbad Caverns, redwood trees approaching the height of a 40-story building, bronze and marble temples in Washington, D.C., honoring the founders of our nation, and battlefields where the blood of too many would be reclaimed by the earth. Nearly 90 million acres of land, 18,000 miles of trails, 75,000 archeological sites, 27,000 historic and prehistoric structures, and the 20,000 rangers and 246,000 volunteers that protect over 400 individual National Park Service units. We'll begin soon with our first full episode, exploring a 400-mile cave system that is more than an underground dreamland. It's the embodiment of American history, from ancient Native people to the civil rights movement. Until then, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search National Parks Podcast and make sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. For more information, visit nationalparkpodcast.com. Sun was shining as I was strolling. The wheat fields waving and the dust clouds rolling.
fog was lifting and a voice come calling this land was made for you and me this land is your land this land is my land from California Stream water. This land was made for you and me. As I was walking, I saw a sign there, and that sign said, No trespassing, but on the Say nothing. That side was made for you and me. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Falls. Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. So that's the that's the America's National Parks podcast. We're very excited to release the Mammoth Cave episode coming up, and we hope you'll go and subscribe to it. It's available now on on Apple Podcasts, on Podbean, on Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Across the spectrum. You can go subscribe to it now. You can also follow the National Park Podcast. It's N-A-T-L Park Podcast. I remember it on, by saying Natal Park, <laughs> the Natal Park Podcast. That's N- how I refer to it. N-A-T-L Park Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please subscribe. We'll put a link to the podcast in the show notes for this episode, of course. But first, before we wrap this up, we got to get to a brain teaser. All right, here we go. I am the beginning of everything, the end of everywhere, the beginning of eternity, and the end of time and space. What am I? It's an epic one, isn't it? This was a really good one. I already know the answer, so I won't pretend like I don't know. But when you read it to me, I was like, I have no idea. And then you told me and I was like, ooh. I don't know. Why did I tell you? I know. But I mean, it definitely got to like, yeah, we got to do that one. So if you know the answer or you want to take a guess at the answer, you should send us an email over at editor at rvmiles.com. We would love to get your email. If you have a suggestion or a riddle you want to share with us, that would be awesome too. If you are enjoying the RV Miles podcast, and we hope that you are, we would love it if you would leave us a five-star review on iTunes or share us around your social media or tell a friend or coworker or, hey, just tell a stranger on the street. That'd be great too. (laughs) (laughs) And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already and the new America's National Parks podcast. Because we can't tell you enough to go subscribe. We're going to say it a lot. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, you guys, thanks so much for joining us this week. We will see you next week. We're going to talk a little bit about White Sands National Monument next week. But until then, keep logging those RV miles. Bye. Bye.